is where the most AC is hitting. So, I mean, I, I know everybody hates sitting up front in church, um, but I don't know, you know, sweat to death or get some AC. I, it feels like sitting up front might be a good way to go. So if you want to move up here while I'm talking, nothing against that. I wouldn't judge you. Guys, I am going to, I know we've had sort of a lot of people coming up front, but I'm going to invite someone else up. It's going to be um, Clayton and perhaps Emily coming up. No, just Clayton. And he's going to read our text for us today. We're in the book of Acts. So I'm going to ask if you would stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. We're in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, and Clayton will be reading it for us today. Thanks, Clayton. the word of God. Thanks be to him. Thanks, Clayton. If you remain standing, I'll pray for us now. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in here would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we ask and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So last week, Pastor Brian kicked us off on what's going to be a little bit of an exploration for us these next few weeks and kind of this study on evangelism and thinking about ways in which we as a church body can grow both in being able to communicate the gospel clearly, um, but also ways in which we can grow in wanting to communicate the gospel, having the desire to actually share the gospel which really is the starting place, right? We're going to do that by looking at the early church and asking this question about how did the early church, and by that I mean the church in the first uh, few decades after Jesus was resurrected and ascended, how did those people talk about their faith? How did they talk about Jesus with each other, but especially with those who had never heard of Jesus before? I want to see what the church did so that maybe it can be instructive to us as to how we can go about growing and sharing our faith. And so last week, Brian kind of kicked us off with the, uh, the, you know, there's the great commission that Jesus gives at the end uh, of the Gospel of Matthew, but then sometimes theologians will say in Acts, he gives the final commission. That is, before his ascension, the final sending off of saying, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And Brian reminded us that those are kind of like concentric circles, starting with Jerusalem, your sort of home base, the things that are nearest to you, and then going out into Judea, out beyond that to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth to be witnesses of Christ. We saw Jesus give that command. But the thing that I loved most about Brian's sermon is what he pointed out right from the get-go, which was very new to me. And he said it was new to him, too. And that is how the angels address these disciples. Right after Jesus gives them that final commission, these two uh, men in white, it says, these angelic figures address the disciples with this phrase, men of Galilee. 
and you usually just skim right over that. But as Brian pointed out, when you compare that sort of mundane title to all the other more sort of fanfare and pomp and circumstance uh, 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 ways in which the angels usually approach people in the word, it's really kind of strange and sort of ordinary and just sort of like, that's it? Men of Galilee? Well, as Brian began to chew on that last week, he, he reminded us that one of the things that that address, men of Galilee, might have done is it could have taken these guys who were staring off into the heavens after Jesus ascended and kind of brought them back down to earth. It rooted them. It reminded them that they were in a local place and a local time with a job to do. But as we were thinking about that more this week and talking about it, me and Brian, we also thought about how Galilee is a very specific place with a very specific culture. And maybe there was part of what the angels were doing here that wanted to remind us of that, wanted to remind those men about that. What do we know about Galilee? Was it a sophisticated metropolis like New York City of the Middle East? Was it? Yeah, most of y'all are shaking your heads now, and you'd be right. Uh, up in paradise this morning, I was preaching on this, and somebody shouted out that it was Hicktown. <laughs> I was like, well, wouldn't have put it that way, but uh, that works. Galilee, you know, and it, it, yes, it's a generalization, but from what we can tell, Galilee was kind of the backwater of Judea. People from there weren't looked on as these sophisticated movers and shakers. They were looked on as country folk that were of very little means, probably very little education. In a day and age where sometimes in the bigger cities where people were traveling and the merchants were working, people would know maybe four, five, six different languages in some capacity. People in Galilee wouldn't have known that many languages. And so the angel says, men of Galilee, you've just been given this commission, and it just sort of puts in this sharp sort of juxtaposition the fact that these men were given this high calling to be the witnesses of the gospel of Jesus, not only in their hometown, but in regions beyond that, even to the ends of the earth. But they're men of Galilee. Nobodies. Country bumpkins. No languages or means to get across uh, the, the, the area that they live, let alone the ends of the world. How on earth do men of Galilee fulfill this calling that Jesus has given them? The answer is they don't. We miss it sometimes when we read this text, but the reality is these guys were just given an impossible task. Men of Galilee with little means and little education and not much authority, probably would have had a hard time getting an audience in Jerusalem, let alone the ends of the earth, where you would have to travel through uh, caravans and, and naval navigation and have money to be able to pay passage and be able to speak languages and no cultures to be able to travel through. They didn't have any of that. And so when the angels say, men of Galilee, it's reminding them and reminding us that these guys have been called to do something that's way beyond their strength. Now, I know it sounds like I'm beating up on these poor men of Galilee, and I guess in a sense I am. But here's the deal. 
we're not going to limit it just to them as people that have been given this calling beyond their strength because the reality is if they're paying attention, if we're paying attention, what we realize is this is just a stand-in for the fact that all of us have been given a calling beyond our strength when it comes to sharing a gospel. Do you realize that? You might not be a man of Galilee. You might be not somebody that, excuse me, I just tripped over my words. You might not be somebody who has very little education or very little means. Maybe you speak seven languages. Maybe you're very culturally savvy. Maybe you feel like, yeah, I could travel the world and talk to people about the gospel. But the truth is, you're still a human with all the limitations of being a creature, with all the, the, the brokenness of the fall and sin that are constantly showing up in our lives as we try to be faithful in following God, when he's given us this calling to be effective witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the world, the truth is we can't do it either. We're just like the men of Galilee. We've been given an impossible task. And so reading through this and hearing the angels call out, you men of Galilee, I feel like they're talking to me as well. And saying, Josh, this is beyond you. So what does that mean? Well, I think first and foremost, it means that if we want to be serious about growing in evangelism, the place we begin is prayer falling on our knees and saying, Lord, this is beyond me. Do your work in me and through me because on my own, it's not going to happen. Just like the men of Galilee. Prayer is the empty hands of faith reaching out to a merciful God and saying, I can't do this. Lord, thank you for inviting me into this calling, but the truth is on my own, in my own strength, it's not going to happen like you're calling it to. I need you. I need your Holy Spirit working in and through me or else this witness is not going to take place. We see that in the text that we read today. Chose a, a very simple text. It's one immediately after what Brian read last week. So Jesus has just given this commission to the men of Galilee. You are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what do they do next? They go home and they pray. That's what our text today said. Did you realize that? I know there was a lot of names that were listed in there. But if you really just want to summarize what Acts 1, 12 through 14 said, it was this. After they got that commission, they went home and they devoted themselves to prayer. All of them. Because that's what you do when you've been given an impossible task. You pray. You say, this is beyond me. Lord, have mercy. Give your strength. And they continued to pray. They being the early church. Uh, up on the slide and next, I also have another passage that I toyed with reading this one. Um, or having Clayton read this one at the beginning too. Sadly, there is a typo here as well. We struggled with typos this week. It's what happens when Monica is on vacation for a week, just the whole operation falls apart. That should say Acts 4, 23 through 24 and 31. But this is after Peter and John had been arrested 
and stood before the council, we read this. When Peter and John were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I'm going to fast forward because we're going to come back to the meat of the prayer in a second. But verse 31 says this, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. If we're trying to answer the question, how did the early church go about speaking the gospel, sharing the gospel, talking about their faith, we have to start here. They prayed. They really prayed. So the last few minutes of my time today, and I promise you it is the last few minutes because truthfully I'm about to die of heat stroke up here. It is hot. Um, we're going to have three things that we're going to look at, three things that the early church prayed for. There's a lot of things that the early church prayed for, but we're going to isolate these three things because they're somewhat foundational. And we're going to say, okay, how did they pray about this? And by extension, how should I also be praying about this when it comes to talking about my faith in Jesus? So here's the first thing that we see that the early church prayed for. They prayed for the Holy Spirit. They were desperate for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see it everywhere. And you even see it in the commission that Jesus gave. Right before he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, the power of the Holy Spirit is about to come upon you. And thank goodness for that. Thank God for that. Because right after he says that, that's when they're given the impossible task. So Jesus says, don't worry. It's not going to be up to you to carry this out. The power of the Spirit will be given to you. Now we can see why Jesus told them to wait on the Holy Spirit coming to them. He's like, no guys, seriously, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit. You really need him. I'm not just playing around about that because check, check out this job I'm about to give you. Yeah, you see now, you really need him. And so the church prays for the Holy Spirit. And what do they pray for? They pray that the Holy Spirit would soften people's hearts. Take their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. They pray that the Holy Spirit would take the blinders off people's eyes so they could again see the truth and see reality. They pray that the Holy Spirit would unstop people's ears so that they can actually be able to hear the gospel and not suppress the truth. These are men who know very well that naturally human beings don't hear the gospel and say, oh, that makes sense. No, naturally human beings are dead in their sin. We have hard-heartedness. We have blinders on our eyes, 2 Corinthians 4 says. So if the words of the witnesses are going to get through it all, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit made those words land in a way that we can't naturally make them. I've got up here on the screen... Uh, the saying of Jesus in John chapter 6, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. It, Jesus was saying these kind of things to his disciples all throughout his ministry. saying, guys, you could be the best public speaker. You could be the best 
musician, you could be the best uh, just uh, performer, whatever it might be, standing up front of people and moving them and making them uh, ooh and awe. And yet, if you don't have the Holy Spirit drawing, it's not going to matter. The Apostle Peter actually had a very personal experience with this. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is asking his disciples, he's sort of polling them, and he's saying, who do people out there say that I am? He's like, ah, some people say that you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And he's saying, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And we're like, woohoo, Peter, you, you found it out, you discovered it. Nope, that's not the reaction Jesus gives him. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Remember, Simon was his name before Jesus started calling him Peter. He says, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. That is, your own strength, your own humanness. But only my Father who is in heaven. You're able to see that I'm the son of the living God because the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to perceive him. We can't soften people's hearts. The men of Galilee cannot soften anybody's hearts, but the Holy Spirit can. So that's why we pray. Second thing that we see them praying for, open doors. The church that I went to growing up was Open Door Community Church. And part of it came from what we're about to notice, that when the early church prayed, oftentimes we find them asking and praying for open doors. That is opportunities that God would give them to share the gospel with people that maybe asked them or uh, found themselves in a spiritual conversation or found themselves reflecting on a matter of life and death. And it would be an open door for the church to speak the truth of what Jesus had said. Uh, I've got an example of this. This actually is outside of Acts, but it's in the book of Colossians, uh, up there on the next slide. Paul, at the very end of the letter, he says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. I find it fascinating that sometimes we, we, we perceive the apostle Paul and other people in the early church as just sort of, uh, just sort of ramming the gospel down people's throats. Just sort of coming in, guns of blazing, just saying, I'm going to tell you about Jesus whether you like it or not. <laughs> well, at least in the writings, these are people that are asking for opportunity. They're saying, God, give us chances, opportunities, occasions to speak the gospel to someone who has a heart to hear it. Even in 1 Peter, uh, one of the most famous passages, 1 Peter 3.15, it's about uh, having a, a ready defense for anybody who, what? Ask you about the hope that is within you. Peter assumes people will be asking you about your faith. Because I think Peter assumes that you will be praying, just like he did, for open doors. And he's seen God give those open doors time and time and time again. I love it. I shared with the folks up in paradise this morning that later on in the book of Acts, there's this portion we'll look at more closely in a few weeks. But there's this uh, court official from Ethiopia that had come up to Jerusalem, and then he's going home. He's in his chariot riding home to Ethiopia. And somehow Philip is transported to be near where this guy is. And the guy basically looks at Philip, 
who's just miraculously showed up out of nowhere. And he's like, I've been reading the Bible and I don't understand what it means. Do you know what this means? <laughs> Talk about an open door. And Philip's like, uh, yeah, I can tell you about that. And he gets to tell them about how the suffering servant in Isaiah is foreshadowing Jesus who has just died for our sins and resurrected to newness of life and the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch is like oh this is amazing like I want to be baptized right here and right now I think God was constantly answering this prayer of the early church to give us open doors and they ultimately found themselves surrounded by opportunities of people asking people interested people curious who God is and what he's done through the gospel of Jesus. I think deep down, we, we know that God answers this prayer when we ask for open doors. And because of that, we don't pray it. Because we don't want, we just want to go on with our day and not be troubled by someone saying, what does this mean to our shame? We can't create those open doors, but the Holy Spirit can. And that is why we pray. So we pray for the Holy Spirit. We pray for his giving opportunity and occasion. Finally, the last thing we're going to know today is we pray for boldness. Um, could you go to the next little snippet? This is uh, the part earlier I showed you guys in the, um, in the prayer that the disciples prayed after Peter and John were released and I had a little ellipsis skipping through a part. This is the part that I cut out. So we're looking at it now. This is what they actually prayed after they came together. They said this, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Do you know what they're saying here? They're saying it's one thing for God to give me an open door. It's an entire different thing to actually have the courage and the boldness to walk through that open door. God is going to give the occasion. He's going to give times where it's just served up to you on a platter, but we actually step through it. We actually with boldness and courage be willing to speak the gospel then and there to people that are curious to hear it. it, it it's wild. I was thinking about this this week, and I, and I don't want to go overboard with making assumptions here that aren't fair. But if the early church was asking for boldness, and the Apostle Paul did too, the end of Ephesians, he has the, uh, I was looking at a verse this week, basically the same prayer, that I would be able to speak the word with boldness. When they asked for boldness, what it might mean is that these people struggled with all the same insecurities that you and I do when it comes to sharing the gospel. That maybe they had the same fears, the same anxieties, the same stresses, the same fear of awkwardness and like, oh, I don't want to get into people's business. Maybe that was there for them just like it is for us. And every time that I've had an open door come my way and I feel my heart beat faster and my palms get sweaty and I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't want to mess this up, but I also don't want to make this weird. Maybe they were feeling some of that same thing. But instead of using that as an excuse to say, I just don't want to do it, they asked the Lord for boldness. They admitted that weakness and said, Lord, help me. Without you, when the open door is open before me, I'm going to chicken out and run away. But give your boldness through the Holy Spirit so that I have the courage to step through. And with clarity and with 
uh, gentleness and with respect to speak the gospel of your love. A love that the church was so eager to speak the world with, with boldness because, or excuse me, to pray for speaking the word with boldness because it doesn't mean, it were, excuse me, it shows me that they weren't these superhuman, like, uh, unflappable, fearless people just sharing the gospel without any uh, hesitation or fear at all. No, they were people like me who struggle, who are scared, who fight against complacency, and they said it. Give us boldness, Lord. On our own, we don't have that courage. The men of Galilee didn't have that courage on their own, but the Holy Spirit gives it to any who ask. And that's why we pray. So like I said before, there were so many things we could talk about the early church praying for. Even with sharing their faith, we could have talked about uh, clarity and sharing their faith or... or um, just uh, speaking the truth with love. Paul at one point says, may my words be seasoned as with salt. All those things would have been worthwhile to speak about and talk about. Maybe we'll revisit them in future weeks. But for now, we just want to stick with those three foundational pieces. The church prayed for the Holy Spirit. They prayed for the Holy Spirit to open doors. And they prayed finally for the boldness and the courage to walk through those open doors when they came. I want to add one more thing to this, not a prayer request, but an application. Because I, I think it's all good and well to talk about this in the abstract, but I feel like what might be the turning point for our church is when you begin to start praying those three things for somebody specific in your life. Now, I know there are many of you in here that are like, Josh, I'm, I've been faithfully praying those things every day for this person in my life. Praise God, keep doing it. But for some of y'all, maybe you've never uh, committed to praying for someone in your life in this way. And I would challenge you to do that as a takeaway from this sermon. I'm going to be doing it too. Choose one person. Could be a, a family member, a close family member, or somebody from an extended family. It, it, it could be a coworker, a neighbor. It could be the mailman that you make chit-chat with every time that he comes by the way. But pray, God. Have your Holy Spirit be softening their heart. Pray that you would give occasion and opportunity for me to talk about these things with whoever it is. And finally, pray for boldness. That when that occasion comes, that you see it and you don't run away from it. I've got this uh, network map up on the screen. That's what this is called. And where this comes from, not this particular one, but the idea is from... The uh, kind of sharing your faith cohort that Chandler, who we heard from earlier today, has put together for our small groups. If you're a small group leader, chances are you've heard from Chandler or myself or Pastor Brian about this little four-week study that Chandler kind of brought to us and said, I think this could really help us talk about and grow in evangelism. And we loved it. In fact, in my small group, we, we put that into practice. I know Brian's did as well, and we want others to do it this coming fall. But one of the coolest things about what Chandler designed and brought to us was kind of a map like this, where you basically, on a piece of paper, draw out all the relationships God has put in your life. And so say that big purple dot up on the top, that would be my neighborhood. And all the circles coming off it are the neighbors that I know. And then the purple dot over on the left would be, that's my work. 
and all my coworkers I work with. And in particular, I'm thinking about people that I know don't know Jesus, or I'm not sure if they do. And by making this map, I'm able to see and visualize who has God put in my life? Where has he strategically put me? And how can I be thinking about prayerfully and intentionally the folks in my life? Because I want them to know Jesus. Now, this is something that I really hope that if some of y'all small groups do that material, you'll be able to make this whole network map on your own. It's incredibly helpful. For the takeaway for us today, though, I'm just going to challenge you to think of one person. One little dot on this map. Who has God put in your life? At work? At school? In your neighborhood? In your family? Pray for that one person. I dare you to pray for them and see what happens. Like I said earlier, my conviction is that a lot of us do believe that God answers the prayer of giving us open doors to share the gospel. And that's why we don't pray. Because we're afraid. But I challenge you, commit even just for 10 days to pray those things for one person in your life and see what God does. It's beyond our strength, guys. But that's why we pray. Let's, well, speaking of prayer, pray right now. Father, thank you that you did not give us this calling and just say, good luck, go figure it out. You sent the Holy Spirit. You sent the power of the Holy Spirit to be working in us and through us so that we can be part of this calling that is way beyond us. Lord, forgive us of the pride that we have of thinking we can do it on our own. And forgive us of the laziness of just being... Uh, sometimes just frustrated and quitting altogether. Lord, put us in that third way of being people that know our limitations, but that, that drives us to prayer and trust in you so that all people might hear the glories of your saving grace. It's in the name of Jesus we ask.